Good morning, church. Oh, goodness, tough love. Anybody ever heard that term before? Uh, we're going to be preaching about it today. It's a little bit different. When we use the term tough love, I've always heard it as things like, uh, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. That's a lie. Um, but that's what's said, right? This idea of like, I'm going to have to do this. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be painful, but I swear it's love. Today's tough love is the kind of love that it's tough to participate in. <laughs> There's love that we are called to in, the, in Scripture, and we're going to talk about it today, specifically loving our enemies that is not easy. It is tough to do. Our enemies oftentimes make us very frustrated, very uh, exasperated, and here we are being told to love them. And uh, if there's anything that I, I guess we could say would be intrinsically tough, at least for me, it's that. I can oftentimes get away, put my enemies uh, far from me, pretend they don't exist. I don't talk to them. They don't talk to me. We'll just be enemies. But that's not loving necessarily. And thus, uh, I guess that's the toughness. So if you've uh, if you've got your Bibles, we'll be at the end, the very tail end of Matthew 5 as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, starting in uh, verse 43 to the end. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, read along. If not, and you just want to read on the screen, that's fine too. Here we go. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, as I finish reading that passage, just as I've read it several times lately, I'm struck by the difficulty of the word perfect, how impossible it feels. Therefore, I need to be perfect. Um, Lord, you are perfect, and you have done all that is required for me to be perfect. And Lord, I pray that as we seek to be perfect in your love and show the world a perfect love, and we will stumble and we will fail and we will mess it up, that we are able to understand and communicate clearly that our failings and our imperfections are what's causing a, a frustration with what may seem to be the love of God. But your love is perfect, Lord. We want to rely on your love, not ours, not our understanding, not our best judgment, Lord. And I, I pray specifically as we study this today with regards to our enemies and the difficulty it is oftentimes to love those who it's far easier to hate, Lord that we will rely on you and your perfection to do what is needed in our lives. To your sons of my pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, we're closing the chapter. Matthew 5. Last week, Mike touched on oaths and retaliation. So, you know, we've, we, as, as we're moving through this, you can kind of sense a little bit of a theme as we're kind of breaking down the things that are impacting our lives. Uh, lust is there, and marriage, and divorce a bit about O's and the danger of O's and, and retaliation. We're called to be very careful with our O's, right? We shouldn't be making O's willy-nilly, and we need to understand the seriousness of our yeses and no's, and we're supposed to avoid retaliation. So someone does something wrong to me, I don't retaliate in kind. There may be retaliation. There may be penalties to be paid by the government or by other forces that come to bear, but it's not from me. 
I'm not going to exact vengeance. But today we're going to be challenged even further. Instead of doing nothing, we're called to love. You might say, doing nothing? Well, a lack of retaliation is don't retaliate. Many rules that we have in our world say don't. No running at the pool. It doesn't tell you to walk at the pool. It tells you not to run. Here what we have is something where don't retaliate. Fine, I'm not retaliating. I just don't even want to see him again. That's it. See, I fulfilled the scripture. Now we're seeing something different. We're being called to love. I started my last few sermons this way because Christ has started every little passage this way by hearkening back to scripture. You've heard it was said. He said this. Again, you've heard it was said over and over and over. And he starts with scripture, but I say, well, sort of, and you'll see why. Jesus quotes Leviticus and beyond. Now, when it comes to knowing scripture, Christ would have been paramount. He would have known it very well, studied it immensely. But the learned men of this time, the scribes and the folks, the Pharisees, and the folks that did all this babysitting, and the Sadducees, and all these people that worked together in a very political way, had made some helpful corrections, updated some scripture, put some other things in there to help clarify it for all these poor, simple people that didn't understand what God was getting at, as if God needed their help. Turns out Jesus is well aware of this edition. He would have been reading from the same scripture that everyone else would have had, the same scrolls, the same bit of of stuff. He's aware of what's there. Christ also knows what it actually said. So let's take a look at Leviticus 19.18. This, this is the quote, if you will. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not the right passage. <laughs> you've, you've, that's not what, what Christ quoted at all. This is exactly what Jesus wants. He wants people nodding along with what he's saying. Absolutely, absolutely. Now let's go see the scripture. And in the scripture at the time, what they would have been talking about, what they would have read readily had available, they omitted to ask yourself, which is what Christ says. You said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So the ask yourself, that's gone. And then this hating your enemy, there. That's what we really needed in the scripture. So they would have said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Seems pretty cut and dried. It's also not biblical. Now, we could say, this is a kind of a running joke we have, right? Like, you could stitch this on a pillow and say, look, it's Scripture. Yeah, but it's Scripture that Christ is making a mockery of because it's not really Scripture. It's Scripture that's been perverted by the men in charge at the time as a means to an end to help people understand what's going on. It makes it a lot easier to rally people to a cause based on hate if you could codify it in Scripture. Look, we're supposed to. Remember the Scripture. We hate who? Our enemy. That's right. And are they our enemy? Yes, then let's hate them. Let's go. I think this really demonstrates that they knew the word, but they didn't understand it. I'm talking about the scribes that did this. When they read this passage in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself, got it. So that implies that we're going to hate our enemy. Well, no. No. What Christ is saying is absolutely not the case. Now, when it comes to making enemies, Jesus is about to make some. <laughs> His correction is really a reiteration of the truth. What he talks about here, about loving your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, seems to be in opposition to the scripture that they knew to be in Leviticus. But that wasn't the scripture that was in Leviticus. Leviticus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and left it at that. What Christ is doing is adding to that. Not only should you love your neighbors yourself, but I'm telling you, you should love all, everybody as yourself. But they're not our neighbors. I thought we were supposed to hate our enemies. Now, I know that's what you thought. There would have been some explaining to do. 
Hold on a minute, right? This is sort of an unfurl. Much of when we talk about things like warfare, the destruction of peoples, mobilization of, 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 of nations against others and all this stuff, is born of this idea that it's us and them. They have this, we have this. Uh, something, there's some difference between us that's gotten to a place where we are ready to go into a violence as a solution. This would have been completely understandable if it's based in hatred, right? <laughs> If they're my enemy and I'm called to hate them, then let's get in there and do some smiting on behalf of God. Hand me the swords and the shields. Let's go. Boom, right in the heart. I don't care. I hate you. Hate, hate, right? I'm in Scripture. Now what Christ's saying is, what if I said you're not going to go to war with them, but you're going to pray for them? Whoa, 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 whoa. We've got a whole society built up around this idea. Jesus is adding a little bit here on to Leviticus, but it's not opposed to Leviticus. He's adding, he's adding more depth to what this really means. As you grow closer to God and you begin to realize that, of course, this is as, as Christ's mission work is, is, is afoot, right? We know how the story ends, of course, right? But what Christ is prepping them for is there's going to be a time when you will be the witness to all the lost of how good Christ is. And if you've deemed the lost enemies and you hate them, it's going to be really tough for you to bring good news to them. You need to be willing to love people that hate you, people that are your enemies. They may even say, I am your enemy. You're, but you're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, I'll tell you what. If you ask people, who wants to be a child of God in heaven? They're going to get a lot of hands up and say, okay, great. All we need you to do is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You're going to get a lot, well... I mean, but I've been really persecuted. You don't know. There are people in my life, I've got real enemies. I've got bone-crushing enemies, the kind that won't relent. They won't leave me alone. It's, I, I'm not going to be able to love them. Yeah. Figure it out. Got to get in the Word. Let's get together. Let's pray through it. Let's see what's going on. As we go through this, I hope some of this will be a little clearer about how, how this is, is going to be doable in our lives, things that were helpful for me, at least, as we come to these conclusions. And lastly here, I'd say it's, it's additive and clarifies our love for one another isn't earned. Now, he gets into this in more depth. But this notion of loving your enemies means what have they done to deserve your love? If Christ is calling me to love and pray for persecutors, for enemies, then what is this love? I almost titled the sermon, What is Love? Right? But I figured it'd be like, there's, a, there's an old song that that's, it's a Hathaway song that gets stuck in my head. Now it's probably all stuck in yours. Sorry about that. But I, I, I changed it back up because they want to get into some philosophical discussion of love. Let's just know here that the love that's being discussed is a love of God. Something that transcends my desires on this earth, right? I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love Mike. I love fresh pizza. These are vastly different loves. Thankfully. This love here is also different than all of those. This, the love that we're talking about here is this, this holy, set-apart, pure, transcendent, godly love, the kind that breaks our heart, moves us out of the way, and allows us to do things like pray for enemies, really be engaged in that. Not just act like it, but really do it. They don't earn this love. How do I know this? Because I didn't earn God's love. When I know that I don't earn it, then how can I expect anybody else to earn it? This begins the journey of how we can accomplish this sort of thing. So why? Why should we love our enemies? Answer, so we can be like a father in heaven. Boom. <laughs> now, Paul will clarify this ultra-deep assertion in later writings. 
If you've not read your entire Bible through, please do. It's great. It's loads of great information in there. But Paul and others, as, the, as you know, we move through the New Testament, unpacks this for us scripturally. When we're talking about this, this conundrum of, you know, how can I love, how can I lo- my love be like my Father in heaven? And, and how does all this work? But suffice to say, today's enemies are tomorrow's brothers. That's the mindset. There was a time when I was an enemy of God. I am no longer, but I once was. And if God chose not to love me until I loved him, you know where I would be? Cursing God straight into the lake of fire with zero hope. God loved me first. This is our call. Those enemies, those persecutors, the people in our lives that drive us up a wall, even mild enemies, I'm not talking about the ones that are, you know, really making life tough for us, but the ones that just, you know, we don't really care for that much, we are called to love them. Because if they're not saved, if they don't know the truth, the good news of the gospel, it's their only hope. And we need to represent that to them, as difficult as it may be. And what Christ does here to, to drive this point home is, is tell us basically the Father cares for everyone and who are we to act differently. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There's so much that God does for everybody, regardless, in a, in a moment in time, regardless of where they are. Now, we know, we ought to know, that God knows everybody that's going to be saved, and they will be saved. None's going to get away that God has deemed are his. But still in this world, we know that there are people that are in various states of that salvation journey. And it's the rain and the sun and the, the blessing, the general blessing of, of life on this earth is on everybody. And if we're being called to love everyone, to bring the good news to everyone, it's kind of hard to bring the good news to somebody in spite, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, but I don't want to. It's not going to be as impactful as if I say, I'm going to tell you this because I want you to know I love you even though I don't understand how I love you. Things like that make people say, what are you talking about? Well, let me tell you what I'm talking about. It's passages like this. They wreck me. So here I am, your enemy, telling you that there is a man who came to this earth and lived and died without sin, was resurrected in three days, sits at the right hand of the Father, offers salvation. It's a free gift for you and me. I want you to know the truth about that. As my enemy, I would love to dwell with you in heaven for eternity, where we could be with zero enmity between us for all time. Something like that may be shrugged off by a million, oh, whatever. (laughs) But every once in a while, if the time is right, those sort of things make a difference. And that's the kind of difference we're called to make. We talked about this a little bit, but like, why did God choose to do this? Why does he use us this way? Why does he just have a big billboard in the sky and convince everyone? I don't know why. But this is the way that God chose to do it. So our work here, our love of our enemies is important. It is important. And Jesus drives home the ease of loving our friends. I love this because I think in any generation, at any time, everyone's going to resonate with this. Loving those who love you is easy. And then we see, I think, what is a very cool double meaning with tax collectors. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And you can bet the people, oh, tax collectors, because tax collectors were hated. Hated. Right? They really put the screws on the Jews, as it were. They took extra money from them. They, it, was, it was a bunch of, 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 it was just organized crime. 
uh, Rome got theirs, whoever got theirs, but mainly speaking, you know, you, you work for the enemy, effectively. You are our enemy, by definition. But he's hinting at the fact that for if those who love you love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? What he's saying is, remember the tax collector, you hate them, right? Well, they're people that love them. Those tax collectors probably have somebody in their life that loves them, depends on them, trusts them, sees them as a good person, helpful individual. You hate them to their core. And here's somebody else that loves them. Couldn't it be the same for you? Couldn't you see yourself as someone very loving and lovable, but there are people that hate you? Would you want to make that right? Is there anything you could do to make it right? They might be opposed to you, but that shouldn't matter. What you think is opposition in this time is largely going to be irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. And what I'm telling you is the truth that you need to love them. You need to bring the truth to them. You need to show them a fealty to God that is bigger than your fealty to the nation or the group of people that you're with or justice or whatever you think. My vengeance, I set it aside. That's the Lord's. I'm here to tell you good news. Picks on tax collectors and he picks on Gentiles. I say picks on, but he selects, let's say. Yeah, they're really nice to each other. Greeting our church family in love, that's easy. The non-church people do that even better. <laughs> you ever been to a class reunion? Or anything like this? People go over the top of this stuff. Ever been to a surprise birthday party? Surprise! And the candles and the, oh my gosh, I'm so surprised. And people are weeping. I haven't seen you in 20 years. Anybody ever see the military homecomings? At a school or whatever else? Real tearjerkers. Why? This person gave up so much and they came back and the whole place stands up and applauds. Thank you for your service, your kids' service. They've all given so much, and here they are together. We don't even do that in the church. The world's really good at greeting one another and loving one another when they like one another. And if the sign of the church is we get along almost as well as the world, we're not going to stand out at all. We're called to something more. If I come to church, it's like, it's pretty good, but it's not like going to the, my favorite bar. Those people love me. Ah, uh, church is okay, but... What I really like is the casino. Church is okay, but not like going to visit my cousins. Man, we have such a good time there. Church is boring, and uh, my cousins love me. Church, we're supposed to be better than that. We want to be looking forward to coming in here, seeing people that we consider brothers and sisters in eternity. Kindling a desire to love one another better. Figuring out how we translate this to a world that's lost. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to do the same things as the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, this isn't a, what is everything the world does, we can do better. Right? While that's true, it isn't one-upsmanship. Oh, they had a surprise party. Well, then we're going to have a surprise service where everyone comes in and we, surprise, welcome, it's for you. That's silly. But the idea is that there's a, there's a love and a caring for one another that leads the world to do these sorts of things. And if the church can't even keep up with that, but claim to love one another, it falls flat. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Yeah, well, that's right. Greeting one another even as good as the world, is going to match the world. You know what the world doesn't do? Throw surprise parties for strangers. Nobody has a retirement party for someone they don't know, didn't work with. That's what we're called to do. Complete stranger, enemy of me, enemy of God. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm happy that happened for you. I heard about your kid doing this, and I read about that in the paper. Congratulations. That stands out. Sure, we love one another, but that stands out.
Okay, so what should we do? All right. Here it is, brass tacks. Simple. Just be perfect as God is perfect. Okay? I mean, folks, is it too much to ask? Perfection, please. <laughs> when, we, when, we think of, when I say we, I mean kind of the royal we, I, humanity. When we think of perfect, we use the word perfect. We usually think of nothing lacking. It's absolutely correct in every way. A perfect day would be beautiful weather, no bad things happened to me, the car starts, the, you know, everything was on sale, everything, you know what I mean, There's, you'd measure, but if it, one thing happened wrong, you'd say, well, I guess it wasn't a perfect day, because one little thing went wrong. But the word here is often used as a term of completeness or fullness, right? Like, uh, sometimes you'll hear see, uh, people use a term like, in the fullness of time. That word could be translated in some regards as the perfection of time, as time perfects or completes. So what we see here is it's not about being without fault and that we're striving for a faultless existence. That is a futile effort. But we would love to be perfect as our Father is perfect. What we want to be is completely loving as our Father is completely loving. I know you're going to think, well, God is also wrathful. Yeah, he's told us that's not for us. Right? We are, we're not called to be completely gods. <laughs> no, I'm talking about love. As God is complete in his love, we ought to strive to be that kind of loving in the world around us. Unconditional, without any cause, without any, uh, any, any merit. You don't earn this love. This love is, is from God, period. Not for me, and it's not qualified. And it's not about acting loving. Christ did not act loving on the cross. He was loving. He didn't feign death. He didn't pretend to sacrifice. He really did it. Our perfection isn't from our effort. It comes from a fullness of God in us. Jesus is driving them to a question that I'm hoping I'm driving y'all to, and then how can this be? Who could be so perfect? What could do this? How, how in the world? This is what makes it tough. If I try to bring my love into the equation with my enemies, anybody ever come up and... and uh, have you ever heard this? Say it like you mean it. <laughs> Tell her you're sorry. Now, say it like you mean it. Why do we hear that? Because there's a way to be sorry without really being sorry. I'm sorry. Such a whiny little son. What? No, I said I was sorry. No, but you didn't really. You're not really sorry. No, I'm not sorry. What Christ is calling us to here is be loving. Love your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The good news here is those two little commands from, from Christ, not little, I guess, but these two minuscule things can get lost in this. The first one seems daunting, and the second one makes the first one feel a lot more tangible. I may not be able to love you, because I'm not sure exactly what that means right now, but I'll tell you, I'll pray for you. And I can start listing out all these things, and then over time, and I'm praying for you, and I'm praying to God, and I start to realize... Man, I don't know that I'm not different from this person I hate. There are probably people who feel the same way about me. You know, the stuff they were doing, that's the stuff I was doing five years ago, ten years ago. What am I praying for? Am I praying God's going to drop an anvil on their head? No, I'm praying that they'll knock that off. They'll get their life together. And I start to realize as the Holy Spirit turns to me like, hey, man, you know, there's people praying for you that same thing right now. Hey, wait, what? It's almost as if I don't stand a chance. And this is the truth. This is the good news. It's not about me. 
This love that we're called to is not about putting on airs. It's not about looking good. It's not about pretending to love our enemies and inviting them into our house begrudgingly and going through the motions so they feel loved. It's about loving them. And if that seems impossible, then you're in the right place because that's what we, I, work on every day. God, please take my love, take my thoughts and all this and move it away. Let me do the tough stuff. Let me, let me repent to people that I've been rotten to. You know, I've, most enemies that I have, I've helped in that regard. It's not like people just one day looked in the phone book and said, he caught Chris. There's somebody I hate. Let's seek him out and really turn the screws on. That's not what happens. It's usually a give and take over a long period of time. And I dig a big hole and then I blame them for it. That's exactly what I did with Christ. He filled the hole in, crossed over, brought me to him. This is what we're called to do. Points to ponder. Number one, this should be straightforward. We should love one another as ourselves. It's in Scripture, period. Number two, we should love our enemies as ourselves. Now, that was not in Scripture, per se. But the logical connections here are one that if I'm going to love my neighbors myself, and then Christ says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Love them how? <laughs> not less than that, I can tell you that much, right? We're not supposed to rank them second. If I love my neighbors as myself, then I should be loving my enemies as myself. That really levels the playing field, doesn't it? There's no more gradients of love. It's not like, oh, I love you a little more than this, that, and the other. When we're talking about the love of Christ, the love from the Father, it's the same for all those that I come across. And to ensure that, number three, we should love our Lord above all. Because there is no question at all that God comes first in this. If we begin to displace uh, God's love in our lives, our, our desire to seek Him and be in the Word and invest time and grow in Him, and displace it with making relationships that seem great and love everybody and all this, that love will eventually turn. We will start to seek our own benefit in it. We'll start to align this and start to cut chasms in and figure it I think I've got it figured out. What I'm going to do is just convince people that I love them and explain love in a certain way that seems palatable and easy to digest. And it's not necessarily God's love, but I'm going to dedicate my life to that. And pretty soon, we're as far afield as when we started. The last rule is we should perfect our love through Jesus. When we talk about being perfect, to get there we must perfect, and the only hope is Christ. All right, we should love one another as ourselves. This, is, this isn't as tough, <laughs> or is it? I'll reiterate, it's easy to act loving, but loving as we love ourselves is tough. This may seem like the easy one. Oh, yeah, sure, loving my neighbors is easy because I love them, right? Christ kind of hints at this, so that's easy. It is, to some degree, but this calling is ignored many times, and is, is critical, <laughs> especially when I think about the way churches interact with one another. We gather on a Sunday. We all claim to follow Christ. And then at the last amen on our way to the parking lot, throwing punches. <laughs> I mean, I'll never sit by them and this and the other. I can't believe it. And the world's like, oh, yeah, I know how that goes. Right? It's like me and my neighbor. Like, yeah, but like we are Christians. Like, says you. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know. If we can't even put our brothers and sisters, the one another's, your neighbors, in the proper position, there is really no hope of being able to put your enemies in that position. We have to be able to get along inside the church. We have to be able to get along with our neighbors. If we can't even do that, our entire ministry is in trouble. There are people arguing and saying, oh, you don't need that. You don't need that. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you can... 
You can go over here. There are people in the Bible that parted ways. and That's all fine and good. But they loved one another as themselves in so doing. Right? When this occurs, when you see these things in the Bible where, where people part ways because they didn't work well together, they didn't part ways as enemies. And uh, I, wish, I hope you get ran over by a donkey. It was, Godspeed, you're doing good work. Please, go over there and do it. <laughs> I'm going to go this way, and we're going to be better for it. But I love you, and I'll take a bullet for you in a minute. And I'm praying for you regularly. You are my brother, and that's that. We're just better uh, uh, separated than together. It's, there's no enmity. <clears throat> and this is critical. Number two, we should love our enemies as ourselves. I think this one is tough, plain, and simple. I can speak for myself very, very difficult. When people don't like me, when people don't want anything to do with me, when they, when they hate me, they think, or they know I've done stuff in the past, I've made decisions or said things that were offensive to them or whatever, and they don't want to hear it. It's hard for me to say, well, then let me try to mend this bridge. I just want to say, you know what, the heck with it. Let's just, we'll just be enemies and leave it at that. There are people we will hate, but we ought not abide that. And this is me talking to me. And I'm not saying we go on, once again, we're going to get here to bullet three. God comes first. I'm not saying we go on a lifelong crusade to make friends with somebody. <laughs> right? Sometimes you just can't mend that fence. They won't have it mended. No, thank you. No problem. But I want you to know I'll be praying for you, and I love you, and I mean that. We may never speak again, but there's nothing, in my, there's nothing over here that I'm keeping track of anymore. Well, we want to talk about love. We're not going to get into it here, but go read in Corinthians when it talks about love. It explains all these aspects of love. Man, they are tough, especially when it comes to enemies. They're tough when you're talking to neighbors. Some of the things that love is supposed to be. When it comes to our enemies, keeping no record of wrong, patient and kind. I may not be talking with somebody who doesn't like me very much, but if I'm not keeping a record of wrong, I'm patient, I'm kind to them, then I love them. That's what we're called to do. God hates sinners. But while they were sinners, he died for them. This conundrum is why we need the Lord. This, this is a, a, a revisioning of Romans 5.8, which is the verse that wrecked me as a younger man. This notion that while I hated God and stood in opposition to him, weapons raised, he goes to the cross for me. Why, why would he do that? It wrecks me still. I, I, what choice do I have but to draw my weapons and say, what? if you're willing to die for me while I hate you, what am I fighting for? Church, this is why the Lord is, must be in the midst of this. That is an irrational, non-reasonable mind conclusion to have. If our enemies that are sworn to hate us, they are standing there with weapons drawn ready to open our throats, and we die for them, it will impact them. Now, we may not be called to die for anybody, but if we are ready to die, if our mindset, if we are spiritually and, and mentally prepared that my love for you transcends all this world, because this is God's love through me, then when I tell you the truth, it's powerful. The, the, the truth of Scripture will impact tons of people. It does every day. But it oftentimes gets lost, and we muddy it up with a bunch of nonsense, like extra passages to try to clarify things, which makes them worse. If God is willing to die while I was in the midst of my sin, then I ought to be willing to do the same thing for others. That's the reality. Will I be called to do it? I don't know. I don't know. 
I certainly can't save them. I want to be very clear about that. I'll never be called to go to a cross, bear the wrath of God for them. That's already been paid for. But this notion of whatever you need, I've got, right? It's important to me. It is critical to me because it's critical to my Father. Jesus went to the cross because the Father said, this is what you'll do. He said, okay, then I'll do it. So when the Father tells me, love your enemies, then I'll do it. And this is where it kind of comes from. We should love our Lord above all. As we love one another and our enemies, we must keep a right order. It may seem like ultra-intuitive, like, man, if you're loving everybody, God's got to be there in the midst. I, I, I don't disagree in some regards, but even something like love in the world can get turned and perverted very quickly into something that's very giving, uh, very, very beneficial to self, right? I tend to love those that love me back a little more. Um, I tend to start loving for show. I want to show videos and pictures of the, all the people I love. Look at the list of the things I've done for people. Look at, look at the evidence of how loving I am, right? And that's not what this is about. God must come first and be the progenitor of our love. It can't be our love. It must come from God. He has to create this love in us. If we displace the Lord from our primary focus, our love is imperfect, Period. There are tons of people in this world who do not know God but would say they love their family, they love their friends, they love their job. But if you ask them why, it's going to come down to something like, well, quite frankly, because they bring me pleasure. I will never say that, right? But I love hot pizza, not because it's a, it's a divine love from the, from the Father. No, it tastes good. I like pizza because it tastes good, right? That's the reason. It benefits me to eat it. I don't say, wow, what a delicious pizza. Anyway, there it is. I just love it. Don't touch it. I just love looking at it. No, I want to eat it. That's what I love. I love me. I love hot pizza because I love me. Without Christ, I love my wife because I love me. She makes me better. She makes me happy. I love me. This love is not about that. This love is, how can you sit there and talk to me? We've been enemies for 30 years because I love the Lord. That's why. And he has changed me. And I don't even understand what's going on fully. And I won't until I get to heaven, but I'll tell you this. He loved me first. I'm here to tell you I love you first. That's why I'm here. Well, I don't believe it. That's all right. You don't have to believe it. You don't need to believe the truth to make the truth. But I want you to know that I love you. When they see something in your eye, that I think he's serious. I think this idiot really loves me. He's over here in the middle of a Saturday afternoon helping me do my... Oh, yeah, wouldn't give me the time of day three weeks ago. I can't get that out of my head, right? That's what we want. That's what we are here to do. When we do that in the world, we're not called to feign love or act loving. We are called to love. And when we do that, things change. Everybody here, myself included, I'm sure, has been impacted by somebody who loved them despite them. Somebody who took extra time, went an extra mile, not necessarily an enemy, but just went out of their way to show love, to show kindness and compassion. It makes a difference. We know it does because the Bible tells us it will. <laughs> and lastly, we should perfect our love through Jesus. There is no love of man that will ever compare to the love of Christ Jesus. People only want to debate that, well, my love might not be Jesus' love, but it's not all selfish. That's well, I'd love to talk more about that. But the calculus I've done in my head is if it's not for, if it's not for the Father, then it's for me. I could say it's for you. I know my heart breaks for my daughter. And my wife, if something bad has happened, I want to make it better for them, right? I do. But the reality is I want them to be better because I don't want to be without them. 
That's the reality. If, if Jane is a terrible stomach virus, I don't think that her salvation's at risk, but I just don't want her sick anymore. Sure, I want her to feel better, but also, you know, I'd like a little peace in the house, and I don't want anybody to be sick. And imagine if she got so sick that, I, that she died, then I would be without her, and that would be very sad for me. So I don't want that. So let's make it better. And people might be saying, oh, that is the most cynical nonsense argument I've ever heard. Search your heart, and I'm happy to have a discussion about it. But when it comes to this kind of love, if you want to know that the love you've got is from the love of, of Christ, the, from the Father, it should be as easy to give that to your enemies as it is to your loved ones. And if it's not, that's, that's not the kind of love we're talking about here. That's the easy love. What, what Christ endured to save us to and for the Father is unimaginable. Think of the worst scenario you could come up with for somebody that you really hate and hates you back. Doesn't even compare. Y'all, I'm gonna, they, in, order to, in order to let them know who Jesus is, I'll have to be skinned alive. Okay. Oh, that's going to be terrible. Well, it'll be terrible. <laughs> but it's nothing compared to what Christ endured. The wrath of God is, there, it's, it, it is absolutely incomparable. We can't do it. I mean, we, we have a lot of examples. Have you ever seen the movie Passion of the Christ? We talked through the, what he endured worldly. The worldly suffering was extreme. Crucifixion is a horrible way to die. But that is not the worst part by a long shot. Those were just shades, examples of what he was about to endure from the Father. That's what Christ is afraid of. That's why he doesn't want to do it. Thorns, yeah, they hurt, but that'll heal or I'll die and I won't feel it anymore. But the wrath of God is something that endures forever. We should be in constant awe of Jesus' love and sacrifice. If it's not there, if you're thinking, well, yeah, it was cool, but it's a while back, and I, I, I punched that ticket and I deal with it, it should be coming back a lot. What Christ did for me, the love he showed me, despite me and the situation I'm in, is awesome. It's incredible. His sacrifice, beyond words. From that awe and that consideration, a perfect love for even our enemies will manifest. When I come to grips with what Christ did for me, what I'm being charged to do here is a pitiful effort. <laughs> Love my enemy. Give them kind words. Tell them the good news. Buy them a meal. Tell them I'm sorry. And mean it. I really am sorry for the things that I've done. If I've driven you away from the goodness of Christ by my actions and my misdeeds, I truly and sincerely apologize. Things like that can go a long way. If they don't believe you, that's not, nothing you do about that. But, but people, people tend to get their minds and eyes opened a lot more if you approach them from a really humble perspective. When you say you're sorry and you say you're praying for them and then you do pray for them. Now, I'm not saying you pray for them in front of them, but if you actually follow through and pray for them, don't be surprised if after a couple of weeks someone doesn't come to you and say, listen, I'm, can we get together again? Because I, I, I want to talk a, a bit more. I got some things I wanted to say too. That'd be great. That'd be great. All right, some final thoughts here. Just a few bullets. Love does not mean enduring abuse. Now, that's a decision for you to make. I've heard stories before about, you know, a wife that stayed with an abusive husband and then led him to the Lord later on. That's awesome, awesome. But this is not a requirement. Abuse is not, is not acceptable, right? So if you're in an abusive situation and you've been told to stay there and minister through it, 
uh, even though it's destroying you and it's hurting your kids and things like that. That's not what we're talking about here. That's a decision that you can make. Please talk with elders and other people, uh, but get that, get that handled. Why? Because love does not mean breaking the law. Beating somebody nearly to death regularly is against the law. That is not love. I don't care what anybody says. This is what I'm called to do. I'm just disciplining you. I'm helping you understand. No, that's breaking the law. And, and, and the reason that is we know that to be true is because love, means, love does not mean disobeying God. If somebody in a relationship ever calls you to do something contra-biblical, that is not love. You do not love by breaking God's law to enable somebody or help them. It may seem helpful at the time. I just need somebody to help me steal this one last ATM, and then I can, I'll quit after that, right? Like, don't. That's not love. They're my enemy. Well, say, listen, number one, I can't help you steal an ATM, but I do want you to know that I love you, but that's not loving. Helping you commit a crime is not a loving thing to do. All this love is imperfect and, frankly, not love at all. All right, so what about us? Church, let's show the world how it's done. Right? I want the world to be able to look at Christians, this church, the people here, and say, man, th- those guys, they got, it go- they, got it- they got it together. They just seem like they're not as burdened, maybe as put upon as the rest of the world. Well, that should be the case, right? There's a lightness. There's a truth in what they say. Let's be honest about the toughness of love sometimes. This is a huge one for me. To be able to say to somebody that you're at, at, at odds with, listen, I'm here because I'm called to love you as an enemy, and I still see you as an enemy, and I'm working through that, but I want you to know I am praying for you. If you are inclined, please pray for me. And I want you to know I want to see you in heaven. I want to see you in eternity. I really honestly do. And even though maybe I don't always feel that way 100% of the time, I'm working on getting to be that way all the time. That kind of honesty makes people question what's going on. You're not just putting on an act. You're being vulnerable. I am being vulnerable because I want you to know that this is serious for me. I'm not trying to fool you into thinking I love you. I want you to know I love you. I am praying for you. Together, as iron sharpens iron, as we work as a community, we can draw close to the Father and pray for one another in this regard. Someone in your life making it tough to love them? Well, let's work together. We could pray for you. We could maybe have some, some good ideas of how to start a reconciliation process or journey. And lastly, we must show the world the good news of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Loving our enemies is not for, for our enemies' sake directly. I mean, it does help them, and it's good for us too. But we're not the primary benefactors. The primary benefactor is God the Father. All glory is due Him. All this that we do, loving one another, praying for our enemies, sharing the good news of His Son, the work that He did on the cross, our inability to do that work ourselves, this truth is the truth of God for God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thankful for these passages, these challenging passages, Lord. I'm thankful for Scripture that calls us into places of discomfort. I guess directly cause us to rely on you, Lord. Lord, I pray that, as I say that out loud, I pray that loving my enemies would not be a discomfort, Lord. But you know as well as I do that it is difficult for me. And I'm sure others feel the same way. That loving those who hate us, praying for them in earnest is, is tough. Um, much like Jonah, we just want to run away from it. Some, if you want them saved, somebody else is going to have to do it, God. Lord, may that not be our attitude. If that's where we're stuck today, Lord, I pray that you'll lift that burden out of our hearts. You'll Take it, take it away from us as we hand it to you. 
and uh, that we'll draw close to you, focus on your love, and let that love spill through us. Not our best efforts, not our preconceived notions, not our list of rights and wrongs that other people have done, Lord, but a holiness that transcends us on this earth, a love that is greater and more capable and more powerful than anything man could ever come up with. I'm thankful for that, Lord. Help us to rely on that in the days and weeks ahead. It's in your sense of my prayer. Amen.